Uh, I do believe that maybe the fact that Arizona has moved into a type of swing state status, if you will, a purple-ish uh, hue coming about, uh, has maybe caused both sides to dig in their heels a little bit, thinking about the next election, perhaps, instead of thinking about the here and now and what we can be doing for Arizona's residents right now. Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist with the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. This episode, we're going to reflect on the 2019 Arizona legislative session that ended last month. We'll talk about the accomplishments, missed opportunities, and political lessons. The Arizona legislative session goes from January until usually early May, usually around 100 days. These are the months where our elected lawmakers are showing up to the Capitol every day to pass laws. The final act of the session usually is to pass the state budget. Uh, but this year, the session lasted 135 days, and this lengthy session illustrates perhaps something you wrote about uh, prior to the session, which is that when the state has a budget surplus, it actually becomes more difficult to agree on how to spend money uh, when there's more money around. So the voice you heard at the start of the episode was Republican State Representative T.J. Shope. So let's start by responding to uh, his take on the legislative session, um, saying that there was more political jockeying this year due to the purpling of the state, the, the you know, gains made by Democrats. It's a they have more represent, uh, representation than in years past. Uh, Democrats won a couple statewide elections this year. Uh, do you think that there was more political jockeying, or how did you think that the the different political makeup this year affected the, the legislative session? Um, this was one of the least conservative um, legislative sessions that the state has experienced in a very long while. Uh, and... Um, I don't think that there was a hardening of the lines uh, in preparation for the 2020 um, election. There were uh, partisan differences on issues like uh, reforming the initiative system. Uh, but in general, to the extent that Republicans weren't able to attract uh, Democratic votes, and I'm thinking in particular about the budget, uh, it was mostly because Republicans mishandled um, the process. I think the opportunity was there to have um, a lot more actual bipartisanship exhibited because it was a far more moderate uh, following more of a bipartisan agenda. Uh, we did see um, things like uh, banning texting uh, while driving, uh, pass. It had been bottled up by libertarian conservatives for several years. Um, you uh, also saw um, the uh, anti-abortion lobby fail to get funding uh, for centers that would advise women uh, about alternatives to abortion. Um, that wouldn't have been the case in a very long time. So in general, I think it was moderate. I don't think that the partisan jockeying was more than usual, but I do think Republicans 
failed in the way that they handled the process to obtain, in reality, the bipartisan support, the agenda that Republicans pursued ought to have enjoyed. Well, one of the main differences and the points that Democrats are trying to make to to regain or to, to gain a majority is over education, education funding and education philosophy. And it seemed like to me, where some some heel digging was was going on, is just just the narrative around education funding. Um, Democrats are trying to paint out that Republicans have starved education, maybe even intentionally, to sort of advance a privatization scheme, as they would, as Democrats would call it. Um, and the, the Republicans are saying, "Look, we've been we had a recession. We've been increasing funding. We're we're continuing to increase funding." We've, you know, we've heard the voice of the teachers and, and provided the raises, and, and that's where that's where it's at. So, uh, you know, I maybe because they didn't include the Democrats early on, they couldn't get those votes. But uh, some, on the on the perspective on the budget, it seemed like that different narrative is going to keep playing out into 2020 election. And then there's the the charter reform bill that was. Uh, Kate Brophy McGee was trying to get passed as a Republican to change the narrative that Republicans are just letting charters run rampant. That was, to me, I saw some of the heel digging on that issue where, where Democrats are, are saying, no, that, that reform doesn't go far enough. And, I, you know, I think maybe some political jockeying there uh, to be able to campaign on charter schools, that, that Democrats want to campaign on, look, Republicans haven't reined in charter schools. We will rein in charter schools, and we will fully fund and extra fund education. Do you think that is uh, maybe one of the biggest jockeying or, or heel-digging issues in Arizona right now? Certainly there was a sharp partisan divide on charter school reform, uh, but I think it was less jockeying for political position um, and more just fundamental philosophical differences about what should be done. Uh, the Democrats believe strongly in the full measure of proposed uh, charter regulation reform um, with um, lots of restrictions on what charter school operators can do with their money and requirements to contract out a whole bunch of stuff that they currently are handling uh, internally. And Republicans tend to view that as uh, striking at the heart of what makes charter schools different and in some cases makes them um, successful. I don't think that, that it's a big enough issue um, that Democrats were trying to save a talking point for the 2020 election as opposed to just being fundamentally um, uh, opposed uh, to what the Republicans were doing as insufficient. If Democrats gain power, majority in the legislature, even the you know the governor seat, uh, what do you think they would do to charter schools? I mean, do you think they would eliminate? I, try to make them the same, or what? If they had complete power, what what changes do you think they would enact? I, I think what Democrats want is to reduce charter schools in Arizona to single site uh, mom and pop operations. Um, that they would uh, take aim at the highly successful uh, 
charter school systems that we have with multiple uh, sites. Um, whether they would succeed in that, given that charter schools continue to uh, win the the game um, in terms of student enrollment, uh, and if what the schools that people are satisfied with for their children were actually at risk and, and known to be at risk, uh, I think you would see a degree of grassroots backlash occur. On um, education funding, I believe that this was something that um, Republicans simply mishandled. Uh, I think that it was possible uh, to uh, develop a bipartisan support for a budget uh, on education finance. A lot, hundreds of millions of dollars of additional funding is going to K-12 education. The top item on the Democratic agenda, which also was the top item on my agenda, was full restoration of um, additional assistance funding, which was cut as part of the recession. The uh, Republicans went a long way. They doubled up what the governor had proposed in additional um, funding for additional assistance. And it would have been relatively easy to shuffle things around in the education funding budget uh, to um, pretty much cover uh, what the Democrats were proposing for education. Where there was a strong uh, partisan difference was what to do on taxes. Uh, Republicans wanted to give back the windfall of um, what the state was going to receive from conforming to federal income tax changes uh, and wanted to give back the windfall that the state was going to get uh, from expanding the ability to tax uh, Internet sales of, of goods. Uh, Democrats opposed that. They wanted to pocket it. Um, but uh, it wouldn't have made you, – you could have gotten pretty much to what the Democrats wanted on education without giving up uh, or what the Republicans wanted on taxes. But you think if they would have done that, the Democrats would have voted for it? Or do you think they just said this is not enough and, and to continue to make that an issue – uh, voting against what the Republicans do because it's you know they're not increasing revenue they're not there's always going to be something more I think the you know the, the critiques in the right maybe it's what T.J. Schoep was referring to is that you know look we can put whatever in there and they're going to oppose it strictly for for political reasons I I think it was possible and this might be naive on my part obviously um, T.J. is far closer to the process than I am but I believe that it could have been managed. So, re so there was something in the budget that Democrats really wanted, such as full restoration of additional assistance, that wouldn't be there um, if a substantial number of Democrats didn't vote for the budget. It's an entirely possible to vote yes on the budget and then say it's not enough and run against Republicans in 2020 on the basis that um, – Democrats are willing to do even more. Yeah, I mean, this was, in essence, the approach that Steve Farley took when yeah. he was in the legislature. He voted anytime Republicans wanted to increase funding for education, he voted yes. Yeah, um, but then turned around and made the case that it wasn't enough. Yeah, um, and I think that and that's as e that is as politically powerful. Uh, as I think so. voting no on the budget. Yeah, I think so. And here's just one like small example of. Maybe some jockeying around that is 
there was a proposal that would have given uh, teachers basically a, a debit card with a couple hundred bucks on it to buy supplies, and that, that didn't get passed. And on the, you know, it's on the teacher pages, there is some debate about that because the um, person that, that tried to get it, to get it through was a teacher and was frustrated that Democrats and, and, the, and the union was basically saying, no, that's a Band-Aid. And we we need we need whole scale change, and and these band aids aren't going to fix it. You know, well, if you're a teacher, the twenty percent, then you're bleeding. You want the band aid? Yeah, the twenty percent <laughs> helps. You know, that would that would help even more. And you know, but if you're making progress in a Republican uh, government, you know, what's the reason for for the change? I I, I think it's symbolic. Yeah. It's it's that uh, teachers. Uh, shouldn't be shouldn't have to reach right. into their own pocket to to pay supplies and and the perception was that voting for that was conceding that that was okay mm-hmm. um but i can um, i i frankly can understand both points yeah. i mean it, it the reality is is that teachers are having to reach into their pocket um and uh, what we can do to alleviate that on our way to achieving sufficient funding that that's no longer necessary I think would make sense. Definitely. So what are some of the other, you think, major accomplishments of this legislative session? Uh, well, legislators would say that the drought contingency plan that was passed early in the session um, was a major accomplishment. Uh, I'm uh, less enthusiastic about that legislation uh, than the governor and um, the legislators are. It was important because it was us being party, part of agreeing to be part of a multi-state effort to um, cope with uh, reduced flow in the Colorado River. Uh, but there was a lot in it that um, shouldn't have been there, such as state funding um, for groundwater pumping facilities for uh, Pinell County farmers. Uh, and things that were missing. We, we, there's nothing in that legislation that will lead to um, Arizona using less Colorado River water, and, and, and that's the agenda that needs to be addressed. Yeah, with, 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 with the drought contingency plan, the water policy, it seems like you know, it's so important. Everyone knows it's so important, but it's so intricate and complicated that it's really hard to talk about it publicly uh, and because it's so nuanced and complicated, and so I, you know, I was trying to follow it, but it's like, well, we need to get this done by this date, otherwise the federal government takes over. And it was like a huge celebration that we we got it passed, but then it was like, wait, but then it's not quite solved because of X, Y, Z type uh, type of reasons. So, well, and and there's interest group gridlock on it. Um, I mean, the Pinell County farmers got state funding to develop uh, groundwater pumping infrastructure because without it, you couldn't get the votes to pass the drought contingency plan. We, we really do need, and it's, um, hate to say this, but it's a dry subject, um, uh, but, but the, the extent to which there is general public paying attention to this needs to be expanded yeah. so that we can break through the interest group gridlock um, that resulted, in my judgment, 
um, in some things in this bill that shouldn't have been there and some things that are missing from it. And in terms of trying to reduce the amount of water people use, you support price Pricing. increases? Yes. Uh, what are the, I mean, there's a, the other ways you could do it is just make laws and how much you can consume. Yeah, go, go, <laughs> government mandates. Yeah. And, and and that tends to be the default position. I mean, yeah. you, you have government mandates that you can only water your lawn on on alternate days and, and uh, various um, landscaping restrictions. Um, I think it's far better to, to handle it by price and let people make their own decisions. Uh, and um, we know that increased prices work. Uh, government mandates are um, often tough to make restrictive enough to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And people evade it. People mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> go ahead and water their lawn on a day that they're not entitled to it. And so what? You have water cops going around yeah. looking at everybody's sprinkler more, system and, and, and handling fines. For, for enforcement and, right. and stuff like that. Pricing's the easy way to do it. And, and you begin with Central Arizona Project Water. It's, it's scarce. So let's, let's price more. Um, let's charge people who use it more than we're charging now so they'll use less of it yeah well another big i guess uh big in terms of national attention and, and discussion is the licensing reform that happened in arizona um explain that quickly for us what what was the licensing reform that happened in arizona is it as big of a deal as you know governor ducey and some national uh publications are, are making it um, what the legislature did and and at the urging of uh, Governor Ducey and which he has um, celebrated and been celebrated uh, nationally for it was to say that that if you have a professional license in another state um, Arizona will automatically accept that for example like nursing license teachers it, uh, license yeah anything yeah um, and uh, licensing restrictions on the ability to earn a living uh, has uh, been a onerous problem that keeps getting worse, and it particularly adversely affects uh, low-income people who don't necessarily have the resources to jump through all the hoops. Um, so the overall subject is very important, um, but there, the extent to which Arizona was a tough place to get an out-of-state license accepted, uh, some doubt has been raised about that uh, in some circles. Uh, and uh, the more important task, which Governor Ducey, to his credit, has taken a leadership role on well, as well, is deregulating uh, the need to get licensing on a lot of this stuff to begin with, um, and in previous sessions, there have been steps taken in Arizona to do that. This was something that Arizona uh, had already adopted um, for the spouses of military personnel. So if the husband or wife got transferred to an Arizona base, um, his or her spouse 
wouldn't have to get re-credentialed for whatever occupational license that they had. And there's been no evidence that that's been a problem. Um, So it's a good step forward, uh, probably not worth um, all the falderall that's attached to it, but uh, it's a useful step forward. Do you think other states will start to adopt that or... Do you think this could become a model for, for other states and more, you know, freedom for moving from state to state and not having to get recertified for jobs? Uh, I believe it will. Um, the Institute for Justice has taken this on as a cause, uh, and uh, it has challenged licensing requirements in a variety of states. Um, it has published documentation about the extent to which each state Uh, requires occupational licensing, and uh, it has made it a national issue. Uh, The celebration that's occurred by what Arizona has done, um, I think, will lead to other states considering the same thing. At the federal level, there is um, discussion of taking the Arizona example of providing automatic licensing for the spouses of military personnel and making that a federal uh, idea and proposal. So I I do believe that this is an issue with some momentum behind it. So moving into next year and and into into the 2020 election, how do you think Arizona lawmakers and you know, the people trying to trying to win elections are gonna are gonna frame this session or, or try to get momentum moving forward. I think um, one point you made in, in, in a recent column about the budget, you you pointed out how it's kind of funny that on this tax conformity thing, the Democrats were the ones saying this is a tax cut, this is a tax cut, and the Republicans were saying no, 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 it's not a tax <laughs> cut. When you know, four or six years ago. Uh, Republicans would be the ones that were saying, yes, we're cutting tax, we're cutting taxes. So is that, you know, is that symbolic of, of this, of this shift? And uh, are we going to see a more moderate message from Republicans touting their, their spending? And, and how do you think that's going to, this jockeying is going to play out over the months and maybe next year? Yeah, next next year's session will be what sets up the 2020 election here in, in Arizona. And a lot of it will depend upon Doug Ducey. Uh, I mean, he, he ran initially as a transformative uh, conservative reformer. Um, he has governed as a uh, cautious um, status quo manager. Uh, given the more moderate nature of the legislature, and it's it's just not the fact that Democrats have a larger share of the votes. Uh, The Republicans in the legislature are a lot more moderate uh, than they've been in the past. Um, So if uh, if Ducey continues to be the conservative status quo manager, then I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of things that happen in the legislature that sets up the election for 2020. Um, You may have Republicans pursuing bipartisan agendas without obtaining bipartisan votes again, but that will be 
from political ineptitude, not because of <laughs> an ideological difference. However, um, what is done in Arizona, I think, will be overwhelmed uh, by the way the 2020 president's race frames the political question. Yeah. Um, and uh, I believe that that will have, I mean, Trump is a highly polarizing figure. Mm -hmm. uh, Democrats appear to be rising to the bait and are likely to nominate someone who's equally as polarizing. And that will suck up all the political yeah. uh, oxygen. Uh, and um, state officers in Arizona aren't up uh, in 2020. Right. So I think we will see the national politics sort of define things, and I think there's a good chance that we'll have down-ballot implications. I don't know how all that sorts itself out. A lot of time. A lot of time for that. Well, let's, uh, let's leave it there for this, uh, this episode. One last question, though. As we talk, we're talking on a Sunday. It is NBA Finals are currently three to one Raptors. Kevin Durant did practice today. He might be coming back. Do you have any bold predictions on how this will play out? I've got to believe um, that Kawhi Leonard uh, has enough in him to win one of three games. I, I, I think if the Warriors had been healthy from the get-go, it would be different. Um, but given the fact that they're still trying to put the parts together, and Leonard has such a iron will uh, that he'll figure out a way to win one of the three. But your view on that would be <laughs> infinitely more informed than mine. Well, I think that's if I was if I was betting on it, I'd probably bet on them on the Raptors winning at least one. But I think the I, I think it's been really exciting just the just the parity of uh, of the competition. I, but, but I'm not gonna. But, but, I'm not but, gonna. But you had to wound three warriors to, make, exactly. to create the parody. Exactly. But that's what made it exciting. But I think. I mean, I think it shows. You know, people have been saying, "Oh, is Kevin Durant uh, unnecessary to the to the Warriors?" I mean, I think. Um, yeah, it would have been like a lot more competitive, and it was not a sure thing that they would win without Durant. But um, you know, he's allowed them to, I think, have the longevity they've had and, and kind of ensure that, you know, going toe-to-toe -to -toe against LeBron in the finals, that, that they would come out on top. Um, but I'm not, I'm not rolling Durant out, and I think it'd be super exciting to, you know, see him come back and see, maybe at least get to a game six or game seven. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. Uh, you can find us on any podcasting app. Thanks for listening.